Welcome to the Right Now Show. This show is all about inspiring our generation, people in their 20s, to go out and actually go for your dream, to find out what your purpose and your mission in life is. And I know that you listening, you are capable of so much more than you can possibly imagine. And I want you to go out and I want you to make that happen. And on this show, we're going to bring on people that have inspired us, that are absolutely just crushing it in life and have overcome insane odds. And this show is called The Right Now Show because the only thing that is truly real is this moment. Let's get into the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to The Right Now Show. Today, we got Adrian Kaler on, and he teaches entrepreneurs the art of leadership, and he's worked with major corporations like Nike. He's also trained U.S. Navy SEALs. Welcome to the show, man. How's it going? It's awesome, man. It's so good to be here, man. I, I just loved our little talk before we got started. You inspire me, so it's really cool to be with you. Dude, yeah, I appreciate it, man. So, yeah, dude, let's get into it. Like, first of all, you know, how do you... Take it, take me back, like as far as you want to go, you know, the start of your journey of, you know, how you got here today, you know, t- take me, you know, just from point A to point B, um, wherever you want to start. Wow. All right. Um, I know we promised to keep this kind of on the shorter side. I could tell obviously a really long version of that story. How did I right. get, how did I get to where I am? I followed the, wow. Interesting. I was just going to say, like, I followed myself. Uh, and I think by that, I mean, I let myself uh, slowly over time, uh, slowly over time and more and more over time, I let myself be myself. So um, I don't want to get too philosophical early, but we'll get there in plenty of time. But, you know, there's, like all, there's always there's always the kind of the structure by which we are born into the world and the culture we assimilate into, i.e. family structure and cultural structure. You're from the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. I was from the no- middle of nowhere in Illinois. Small town, 8,000 people in my hometown, all white people, good people, you know, uh, blue collar town. My parents were both school teachers. My, I'm the youngest of two brothers. We were like a sports family. I joke, I grew up in a episode of Friday Night Lights. Um, we, you know, sports was kind of the, the um, commodity in my family. And, and my brother was a hoss. We would have called him a big dude, um, set all the records. And uh, I was a scrawny, scrappy. Luckily, I had a pretty good head on my shoulders and academically that worked out well. And then just realized early that connection with people is the whole ballgame, hey. at least for me. And, and I right. learned that because I didn't know how to do it. Um, meaning, you know, I was like, I was a popular kid, not that it took a lot in that environment popular kid, athletic kid, dated the cheerleader, all that shit, student, blah, blah, blah. You know, there's like been part of that's being a teacher's kid. Anyway, the, the, the standards were high and I met them just fine externally. Internally, I was troubled, man. And, and, but learned early, I think learned early that it's good to put on a good face and that's not a bad strategy. Um, meaning it's better to do that than just to crumble. Um, but in the meantime, I guess my point being here is like, there was this Adrian that the world wanted. And then there was the Adrian that I was, or the Adrian that I was committed to becoming. And those, those two identities are separate. Uh, I think, I don't know, I don't know for most people, definitely for me. And there's the living up to this thing. There's the being for others thing. And then there's the, who the hell am I? How do I even know that? Um, and then in the environment that I was in, uh, it wasn't like a deep self-exploration was the norm. It wasn't. We just kind of, you know, pretty simple family, pretty, 
and even like religious family too. So there's like certain things we didn't talk about. Um, and so I, you kind of repress that shit and deal with that later on your own or like go to the dark side, which I did fully, um, which is a pretty good time. And, um, you know, and then I just followed my interest. You know, how did I get to where I am? I followed my interest, but that's been all over the place, you know? So I was like, um, interested in medicine, interested in the human body and how that worked. And I was a nerd ball in school in that regard and could remember a bunch of stuff and, um, a decent work ethic, but, uh, you know, so I was like a pre-med guy in college and then, then, but then shifted because I wanted to go travel the world, but I didn't really want to go be a doctor because that's like yeah. a big commitment. And I just wasn't that interested in it just cause you know, if you're going to go pay that much for school, you got to go pay your dues and go just be a, a cog in a wheel. And I'm not that objective. I like being in the mix. I like being on the ground. I like hand to hand combat and, um, versus kind of sitting back and calling the shots from a distance. I just like being in the mix. So anyway, I was a nurse out of, out of college and, uh, obviously not too many dudes in my profession, um, which set me up really great to succeed. Um, and the ability to interview well and I'd get to know people quickly. And I'd been around leaders my whole life. My parents are both leaders. They both, you know, took a, uh, had a significant role in the little town I was in, um, and great heritage there. And so I'd seen leadership and I realized I was just more comfortable. I was just saying this to a friend last night on the phone at midnight. I'm, I'm, I'm more comfortable leading something than kind of letting something happen. And I don't think everybody's like that, but I know that was for me. Like leadership became a, I, I maybe initially became a survival tactic, um, but really became a, a um, anti-anxiety med, you know, like if I'm, the world's chaotic and it's always up for grabs. I'm just thinking about even like on, on, on you know, pl playing basketball at recess in second grade, you got 20 minutes, no, either nothing's going to happen or somebody's going to step up and lead. And I learned early that it's just, you, if you pick yourself, and stand up and say, okay, I'll be the captain and you, Tom, you're the captain and let's go. They're going to be these five and these five and now we get to go. And I just felt more comfortable when moments had a leader and I would love to follow a great leader. And if there wasn't one, I would be a leader. And uh, that's what generated my kind of interest in leadership. It was just more fun and, and more effective and more, um, what's the word, secure, I guess in that way. I don't use the word safe very often, but it's just secure. It's like, okay, it's substantiated. You know, it's like if I'm on my toes, then I've got, I've got, it's a, on your toes, a great, a, a better posture for being in the world than being on your heels. Um, a, a business partner of mine now, he says, a man with a vision can never be held hostage by circumstances. A man with a vision can never be held hostage by circumstances. And that's true. So I learned that, like if I had a vision for what I wanted, it usually already set me apart because people are so polite, quote unquote, but they're really just cowards and don't want to go assert themselves. And, and I don't do this well all the time, but I've learned over time for sure. I'm 43, not 20. What are you, 24? Fucking A. It's awesome. Um, I wouldn't go back, but I'm glad you are where you are. Um, so I just... Um, you know, over time realized I'd rather be on my toes than on my heels. So IE being a leader, I was a nurse out of college and loved that and worked at a children's hospital. So get to save kids lives. So that wasn't, you know, it didn't feel that. I mean, now that I've got kids, it feels, it feels crazier than it did back then. Back then it was like really fun and, and working in the pediatric intensive care unit. So I would like, 
literally be at least involved in saving a kid's life every day and like helping a mom relax, helping a dad chill out, um, educating, communicating, realizing when I walked in the room, they were desperate for insight. They were desperate for a plan and desperate for somebody to look them in the eye and say, hey, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Here's, here's the seven things we're going to do today. Trust me. If we do this and we do this and we do this today, you're going to be better by tonight than you were this morning. Just follow me. It's going to be okay. That was a huge honor. Um, and I loved it, but I never want to like be a nurse. Right. So I like, that was an early career quote unquote, but I, it wasn't ever a landing spot for me. Um, which, I mean, you were saying the, the listeners here, people in their twenties, they're committed to personal growth, committed to, you know, uh, finding out who they are, discovering who they are, or, or what I would say, constituting who they are. Um, and that's a, if you're listening and you're doing that, good for you. Good for you. Get really intentional about it. Um, uh, let me get done with this story so we can get to some more helpful stuff. But, you know, so I was doing the nursing stuff and then I, uh, I do come from a spiritual background that matters to me. I'm a God guy in that way, not a very religious guy more religious than the next. I've got a master's in theology, for example, but I'm not that religious. Like I'm not pious. I'm not, I'm definitely not judgmental of anybody. Um, I just think, I think that there's a God in the universe and, and that God wants the best for every human. And I think the most ultimate human calling is to be a part of that story, essentially. So be a part of the redemption of the world. I don't, I don't think, I mean, I don't think there's a better the reason to get up in the morning than to be a part of the reconstitution, the reconciliation of the world. Um, and that's, that's, that's on the macro level. Um, like back and then I started working at a church. I moved out to Los Angeles from Chicago. That's where I was a nurse, caught wind of this guy named Erwin McManus. And if nobody's heard Erwin McManus, Google him. Um, he's one of the best communicators on the planet. I heard a talk of his called the barbarian way out of civilization, which was a look about how Jesus was a revolutionary and that's why they killed him. Not, not, he didn't come to like start Christianity or whatever's happened now. He came to up, up end things uh, with a better story than, than religious people have. So I heard this guy give this talk and I thought, holy shit, this, that's the music. I, I don't know, but I know that's closer to what I want than anything I've heard before. So I moved across the country to go get to know this guy and uh, became an intern at this this church called Mosaic here in Los Angeles. And uh, we were a very flat organization, um, about 3,000 people, which is a big number for a city church. I mean, if you go to the suburbs, you can, you can gather 20,000 really easy because they all think the same and act the same and blah, blah, blah. It's kind of a country club lifestyle. If you live in the city, you better do something special. And we did something special. We met in nightclubs. We, you know, anyway, it was crazy. It was awesome. We called ourselves the research and development arm of Christianity, um, which was a blast. And I, I let so up all of our social... Was it different than Christianity? Was it something different? Well, like a kind of a, yes and no. So the theology or the belief system was very conservative in the sense that we believed what the Bible said. Um, right. And I could spend eight hours on what that means. But, um, but then from a, that's an orthodoxy perspective, like what someone believes. From an orthopraxy perspective, what somebody practices, we were very revolutionary. Like before it was cool to be diverse and inclusive. We were that way. Like, you know, you don't have to believe anything. You can be like an atheist. Um, things that religious people usually, that usually reject, like people from other religions or people from different sexual orientations or to people from different lifestyles or anyway, we were, come on, you, you, we used to say you belong way before you believe anything here. 
And uh, it was a great place to spend my 20s. And that's all I did. I, I, I thought, okay, where do, who do I want to become? And who do I want to be like? And, and there, is a, there is a universal truth around proximity. Like proximity becomes destiny. So whoever you're close to will be who you become like. So choose wisely, especially in your 20s. And nowadays, I mean, you've got it better than I had it. We, you know, now you can, you were just saying all the travels you've been doing even the last week. And that's great. I mean, anybody can be your mentor and you get in a room with anybody. So anyway, I led up all of our social action stuff into the city and across the globe. So I'd take teams and you had let and uh, build a team. And then, you know, when Haiti happened, we were in the earthquake. Um, like four, four days after it happened, I took a team of doctors and nurses. When Katrina happened, 20 of us were down in, in Houston receiving people and giving people hope. When Pakistan was underwater, a doctor and I went to Pakistan and put up clinics, um, spent, spent significant time in the Middle East. Um, anyway, really fun stuff in my 20s. Uh, it was awesome. I did that. And then I, I helped a guy in his own spiritual journey. His dad was a billionaire, so he's a millionaire by birth. And he wanted to give a lot of his money away. And I was very well connected in the nonprofit world. Like if you had an issue that you knew about, I knew somebody that was into it. And I probably knew the guy that was the, that was doing the best work or the guy or the gal that was doing the best work in that world. So he said, would you leave work in a mosaic and help me figure out what I want to do with my life, which is a pretty fun thing. And i.e., then give a lot of money away. So long story, very short, we ended up working in the prison system in California. So uh, simultaneously, I met a guy that had been in the leadership training world, but then on the side did gang intervention work. And I immediately hired him and said, hey, would you help us um, figure out what to do with these lifers? So we went into the leadership trainings in prison with lifers. So pretty extreme, pretty fucking awesome. Um, scared to death, but on the edge of my seat and learned a ton. And that's, I went through all these personal leadership training stuff, went through a coaches academy, just to be better at my job. And, um, you know, we would put on these trainings and we train these guys how to be trainers and uh, make the big leap, which is moving from being a victim to being responsible. If you do that, your life opens up and the whole, a whole new world's possible for you. But most people don't do that. Most people live at effect of circumstances or other people or their own history or their own insecurities. And if you do that, your world's smaller. If you take full responsibility, your world opens up. So um, that was my uh, engagement with those folks, which I, I loved them and did that for a couple of years. And after that jumped into coaching work. And so I've been doing this now for 13 years. Wow. Um, wow. So it's been fun. I love it, man. Now, when people think of leaders, they probably think maybe someone like a teacher, maybe someone who leads a business, a coach. And I feel like there's, there's good leaders and there's also bad leaders too. What, how would you define leadership? Well, what is leadership to you? Yeah. I think at the end of the day, leadership is getting results through other people. I mean, there's lots of ways to talk about it, but if you, I, leadership is a phenomenon, meaning leadership is something that's happening. Um, it's like active. It's not a noun. It's not something you watch. It's something that's happening and you experience it. And so, and you know, most, everybody's got to lead themselves. I mean, the first person anybody's got to lead is themselves. If they're going to lead, they better lead themselves. And you can lead other people and not lead yourself, but then you're a train wreck and nobody wants to be around you eventually. Um, but self-mastery is the, the goal of any person, um, not the goal of any person, uh, because most people don't do that. But I, 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 it ought to be the goal of any person is self-mastery. So I'm leading myself. 
And if you do that really well, the, it, the world shifts for you. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're going to be a leader in the, in the traditional sense, when people, when people say leadership, they really mean a guy or a gal that's, that is influencing and directing and guiding other people. I just say the job is to get results through them, which is a pretty big jump versus just being a, you know, you're a kind of solopreneur, you lead yourself, very different ball game whenever you bring a team in. I'm sure you work with other shooters and work with other teammates. That's a whole different, that's a whole different game. But that, I think that's what leadership is, getting results through other people. Yeah. What are some of the most common mistakes that you see when it comes down to leadership? Most common mistakes. People uh, aren't clear. You know, we, if we don't have a vision, which is a clear picture of the future that's worth having, that's what a vision is. Like, here's what's going to happen in the future. Here's what I'm committed to. And this worth it, right? We're going to struggle, sacrifice in order to get somewhere. That's a vision. If people don't have that, then all you got is a, is a beauty pageant and it's a personality contest and then it's a cult of personality and then anything, be, everything becomes like the leader, right? It's just the culture becomes the leader because there's nothing that supersedes the emotions of the moment, right? If I don't have a vision, then I'll just do whatever I want to do. And then I train a whole culture just to follow me instead of build this thing, let's go do this thing. And that sets up the hierarchy of concerns if I have a vision. And then it tells us what to do and what matters and what doesn't matter. It sets up all what's significant and what's insignificant. So big challenge for most people because the world's chaotic and the world is, you know, undeniably, uh, you know, unendingly complex. That's just reality. It's really complex. And if we don't know it's complex, it means we are not paying attention and we're not really honoring reality. Um, but most of one of the biggest things is people don't decide to be clear and to be committed to something. I mean, you can't be committed to something you're not clear about. But if you, once I get clear about what I'm committed to, then I can get committed to it. Um, and then other people know how to relate and they're either opt in or opt out of that. So a lot of the drama that happens, so I coach founders, like founder-driven companies, um, and a lot of the soap opera that's there is because the leader hasn't taken a stand for something. And then all the conflict gets really worse because there's nothing we're gauging it against. Like there's no you know, uh, objective stand, objective reality. Just kind of like if you, you know, for your business, if you said, I'm going to make 500 K this year in my business there, it like, that's a different game than if you said, I'm going to make whatever I make. Yeah. And if you could make a million and you said 500 K now that's a very different, that sets up a whole different world as well. And, you know, perception comes like, we do know this, that, um, future-based language creates present state. Future-based language creates present state, i.e. we live into the world that we see coming. And, and the future's up for grabs. Nobody knows what's going to happen except for those who decide what's going to happen. And if I don't decide, that's a decision, right? I'm just deciding to be confused and to wander, which people do a lot in their 20s. Uh, no problem with wandering. I would suggest taking calculated experiments. That's what I would do. That's what I did in my twenties. I didn't wander around. I did do random shit and followed my gut. And then I paid attention. Did I like it? Did I not like it? It was it in alignment with something I was proud of or not proud of. And th that goes from a vocation perspective, goes from personal habits perspective, goes from relationships across the board. Like I'd run, like give yourself freedom to run a bunch of experiments. 
Um, because anybody that tells you, you got to like make up what you're going to, you need to decide now what you're going to, what's your 10 year plan. That's bullshit anyway. And that's such a baby boomer question. Stop it. Like, like just give yourself to what's true and you better find a way to make money. You better find, I mean, if you want meaning, you better find a way to serve other people and ways to be like fully alive. Um, like vitality comes out of a commitment to some future that you want. So I'd follow aliveness. Vitality is a big word for me because it's like the study, the being of aliveness. Like there's possibility and I'm rooted in, um, in, uh, you know, trying to think of a different word than vitality or aliveness, but that's it. Like if I want what I'm headed, I show up differently than if I'm just bitching about my job or my parents or the girlfriend or something like that, right? That's living as a victim. If I'm living responsibly, I realize any of the future I have that's lined out, I'm choosing that. And if I'm in the driver's seat, that's I'm on the hook, right? I'm responsible. Most people don't want to take that stand because it's risky, but those who are successful, they all take that stand. Like 100% of them decide that the future's up to them um, at some level. So, you know, wander in your 20s, wander intentionally in your 20s, have a ball, go t- go touch every possibility, go do everything you can. That's your job in your 20s. If you're not doing that, if you're like got some kind of job and like waiting to save up enough money for the house or waiting to, that's such a, that's such a bad idea. Don't do that in your 20s. Wait and do that later. Right now, go experiment because you don't know who you are, which is a gift. And you want, I'm 43. I don't know who I am either. And that's great. You know, I know some things, right? I'm not saying I don't want to be an idiot. I, I know some things about myself, but the more exploration and, and wonder there is in my life, the more joy I have. Yeah. The more, the more experiences you have, the more knowledge you have. And I feel like now is the time to fuck up. If you're going to fuck up, why not do it now? Cause you don't, you don't lose a lot. You don't have kids. Most people don't have kids yet. You're right. But yeah, I feel like a lot of people struggle to find purpose in their twenties. But if you're struggling to find it, I feel like you should be relentless in pursuing it, seeking it, desiring it. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's a well, great point, man. Well, people love to struggle. I mean, I, I, meaning like anybody that said, says I'm struggling to do this thing, I always wonder why they like struggling. Um, right. Because struggling is its own reward, right? If I'm struggling with something, quote unquote, then I'm off the hook, right? There's no, the expectations are on the ground. Nobody can expect anything out of me. I can't, I don't have to expect anything out of myself because I'm struggling and we get sympathy and, and all the caretakers in our world come to try to help us. And we get to be the, the what do the psychologists call it now? Learned helplessness. Like I need help. And, but you know, you're not, if you're a dude, um, th- that's like the, probably the most least attractive person the, to a partner um, is, to, is to be in this kind of uh, learned helplessness state. So don't struggle. Give up, give up the, the illusion or the safety of struggling. I would just say, get after something. And then if you're willing to be wrong about it, that's great. Just go at it a hundred percent. And if you, and if it doesn't work out great, you've learned something. You know, most people, when they hear my story of my career would have some judgment about it potentially. I mean, not most people, some people would have some judgment about it. Like I, I wasted some years, but I didn't do that. I, all, every one of those transitions, I've got so much that I learned. I mean, I, I coach a bunch of people now that have been very focused for 20 years and they're envious of me because I went out and I, and I had phenomenal experiences. Um, and I didn't know I was having it in the moment, by the way, this is all in reflection. In the moment, I'm just like figuring shit out and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm 
trying this and I'm trying that and I'm meeting this person and I'm following this passion. Um, but that's our job. I mean, that meaning like, you know, if you don't have purpose, all you got to do is sit down and say, what matters most to me? And there's a list already. If you just watched your life, you could, you could write down, if you watched your life for a week, where did I spend my money? Where did I spend my time? Those things are what matters most to you. You'll probably be shocked and maybe appalled if you look at the amount of money you spent on fill in the blank or the amount of time you spent on fill in the blank. You'd probably be shocked. It's a pretty great exercise. And then you can make new choices. You know? Yeah. I feel like it comes down to awareness of self. How can, how could people in their twenties, how, how can they become more aware of themselves? Is it just asking those hard questions, experience, throwing yourself in situations, seeking mentors? Is it that kind of stuff? Um, it, well, it's a great question. You ask very potent questions. Um, so thanks for that. All those are potential roads to self-awareness. That's for sure. But you can like have 25 mentors and not be self-aware. You can have a hundred experiences and not grow in self-awareness. What's required is humility. First off is we have to, uh, we have to override our software. Our software in between our ears is survival based, right? And IE ego based, like looking good, feeling good, being right, being in control. Those are the human survival needs. They'd say it is the first and forever epidemic for human beings, looking good, feeling good, being right, being in control. Therefore, there's nothing wrong with it. Like it's not going anywhere. So we don't need to make those impulses our enemy either. They're actually indicators for us. Um, and we ought to pay attention to them and befriend them like allies. Because if I'm in a meeting and I'm really leveraged and I'm, you know, meeting with, let's say, a, you know, even just this last week, the guy that created all the engines for SpaceX, right? He's a baller in a specific world. He's world-class and he's starting a new company and he's going to have us come in and, and, and train his leadership team. Now he's going to create the technology to mobilize American defense systems in space. So if China's got a satellite, he's going to create the thing that they can go disassemble that satellite, go break it, go divert it, go whatever. Now, you and I can't do that, but this guy can. And if I'm sitting with him, I'm intimidated because he's like world-class mind, right? He's like off the charts, like sharp dude. I'm not that sharp. I'm not that sharp around those things. I'm sharp around things he's not sharp at. But if I'm in that conversation, I'm, I find myself talking a lot. Even when I'm doing podcasts, it's odd for me because I don't talk that much. My job is to really listen and, and provoke and, push and, and, and ask questions. But if I find myself talking, then I know I'm in a conversation about looking good because I'm trying to impress this guy. And that's a good tell for me. It's like, oh, my vision's off. I'm, I find myself talking and I'm here to look good and I'm going to miss the mark because this guy didn't care about what I know. This guy cares about his pain and where he's going. And if I can help him, this is going to work. So all that to say is we like are wired towards survival. And if we're not connected to that, like, and I would call that the dark side, because if we're following survival, we're going to do a bunch of criminal shit, right? We're going to cover up ourselves. We're going to lie. We're going to cheat. We're going to steal. We're going to betray. We're going to minimize. We're going to um, uh, at least not tell the truth. Um, you know, that say what's there for me. I'm going to, or we might fully lie about something. And that's the dark side. 
you know, that young Carl Jung would talk about, like the shadow self or whatever. And great. It's all about seeking the comfort, all about staying alive, that survival state. Right on, right on, which is fine. And most people do it, man. Like the majority of humans, that's all they're doing today is like getting up, trying to make it through the day. Nothing wrong with that. It's just a shitty life. And everybody's got possibilities beyond that. Most people, most people won't choose to see the world in a way that requires them to be their best self. That's kind of a weird statement. So most people won't see the world in a way that requires them to be their best self. So therefore, when you say self-awareness, most of the time, I'm not, I don't know what you mean by it. Um, or let me ask that question. What do you mean by self-awareness? I think it's just uh, being aware of who you are, what your purpose is, you know, why you are here on this planet. Yeah. Um, being aware of what you tolerate and what you don't tolerate. Yep. Um, being aware of this present moment, knowing that you're in the moment and not in the past and not in the future. I would say that's what I mean by uh, self-awareness. Yeah, well, that's a pretty verbose, that's a pretty big uh, definition, which I appreciate. Um, and that really touches a lot of, I think, aspects of self-awareness. Most people don't think that when they yeah. say self-awareness. Most people think like they... Uh, kind of know their emotions, they know their interests, and which is a pretty low bar for self-awareness. Yeah, um, it's surface level. Yeah, well, there's not a lot of ambition in it. Because I would say, really? you know, self-awareness, okay, great, which self are we talking about? Is it this, you know, is it the self right now? You know, we're recording on Tuesday at 9.30. It, uh, it, 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 this self or am I that aware of like the self from five years ago? Do I know that? How do I, do I know that guy? Or the guy that, right. you know, 35 years ago, how well do I know that guy? Or what about the one 20 years from now, that Adrian, do I know him? Um, Cause you know, we've, you know, if I'm going to get connected to myself, I better get real about um, what future I'm committed to creating. Like this, you know, the conversation of becoming is really whatever human beings in, no matter what we're doing, no matter if we're chasing the girl or chasing the Ferrari or the watch or whatever people do these days, or just chasing the high and the experience. Um, yeah. you know, we need to get connected to the future self that's generated by those pursuits. And that, and so self-awareness is a great aim, but like self-governance and self-direction is a better game than self-awareness. Yeah. Would you say the part of growing up and maturing and becoming a man or a woman, would you say it's almost a process of unlearning, unlearning the things that, you know, your parents taught you some of the things, maybe some of the things that society has taught you, your teachers in school, would you say it's unlearning? And then that's kind of how you become self-aware and learn about yourself? Yeah. Are you saying unlearning things or unlearning? Yeah, kind of, yeah, on learning. On, on learning. Things. I don't know what that yes. word means. What's on learning? Um, kind of, uh, you know, taking what you learn, taking what you brought in and uh, knowing what you should release and okay. or knowing what you should keep. That's great. I don't know that that word if you're saying on learning, like oh, in learning. Might not be a word. I might have just made it up I, on the spot. I'm not I sure. dig it. I dig it. I thought you meant unlearning, yeah. which might be similar. Um, right. Yeah. Well, you know, all right. Well, we're handed a bunch of genetics, so right. we don't get a vote on that. Like the gene pool we come from, and then we're placed in an environment. And 
part of our genetics becomes our environment um, as a youngster. And the, we don't get a vote on that either. At some point, we get a vote on what things mean. Exactly. Um, and, you know, our history isn't the painting. Like when people talk about history, they think about meanings and they've got all these stories in their head and they tell themselves that their story about what happened is what happened, but that's not true. You know, what happened is the canvas and we paint the story on it, like always. Like what happened where, you know, that's up for grabs. That's why I'd say if you interview a, a two siblings on what it was like in their childhood, you'll hear two different stories. Now, why is that? Because every human being paints their own story. We all do. And what's significant and what it means to me. And like if, if, if I had like an abusive parent, I didn't. But if you had like an abusive parent, did that ruin you or did that make you resilient? Mm. Yo, you, you decide. That's up for you, man. It's like, Yo. you know, I'm always teaching my kids stuff like this. Like, you know, Jackie Robinson, he was just as black as the next guy. He just decided it didn't mean what the other guy said it meant. That's it. I mean, okay, I'm going to go be the first guy in the league and I'm not going to go resign down to the other league and, and just say it's not possible. No, I'm going to go make it possible. Nobody, now that, that's up for Jackie and he made that decision and thank God he did. Um, so, you know, yes, it's, it's a part of, I mean, we get handed all these things, handed all these beliefs and it's good to at some point make the distinction between what I was taught and what I believe. Most people don't make that distinction and just build a life that fits inside the box they were handed. And then just justify that or, you know, drug or drink their way through that or complain their way through that or whatever. And they, but they don't get that they've settled for a life inside the box they were handed. We were all handled, handed a box. And you can honor the box. Like I honor the box that I was, you know, even just this morning, I was telling you as we were com coming, um, coming on, I was saying, I just got back from taking my kids to school, fourth grader and second grader. We rode our bikes to school and it's the second day of school. They're very excited. And I, you know, took a video of that and I sent it to my parents. My parents first, my mother's first response was, oh my gosh, you're going too fast. My dad's response was watch out for traffic. Now, they're both small town people, middle of nowhere in Illinois, you know, living in Los Angeles is quite frightening for them, period. Um, I had zero, you know, so that's the box. The box that I came into was one of caution. Um, no big deal. I don't judge them for that these days. I do notice it and think, oh, wow, you know, that's interesting. Uh, instead of all the other things they could say, they said that. Interesting. You know, not like the joy that's there. Not like the kids are awesome. Not like great job, dad. Anyway, they went to what their concerns were and what their fears were. I was handed a pretty scared box. Now, I don't have to judge that box. The more I judge it, the more it still runs me. Like Kierkegaard says, what we, what we resist persists. You know, so if I'm busy, people 43, people 24, people whatever, people 65 are still busy judging their parents. I think that's a stupid idea. Um, it makes sense for people because they don't have to take responsibility for anything. So don't judge your history at all is my point. And at the same point, um, you know, yes, be willing to unlearn some things, which requires you to go test yourself and to go see what, see what you've got. 
Um, so yeah, it's a lot of unlearning. And even like today, even when I'm listening to things and um, learning from other people, people on my team, people I work with or whatever, I'm always listening and saying, hold on, does that work? Does that idea work or does it not work? Um, is it helpful? Like it's good to hold something up and say, what's the feature connected to this belief? Because there's always a feature that's baked in to a belief or a choice. You know, beliefs become thoughts and thoughts become decisions and decisions become actions and actions become results. So it's good to take a belief um, or a way of thinking about things and say, what's the feature connected to this? Like, I can't trust authority might be a belief or people are out to get me or women aren't to be trusted or I'm a piece of shit, whatever the belief is. Do I want the future that's connected to that? Because there's a future connected to everything. Or do I not want something? And it probably takes more guts. It takes more guts to give up a known, a known belief, even if that known belief is painful. Like the idea of shame, which is huge for human beings, like being hard on ourselves, like being judgmental of ourselves, like thinking lowly of ourselves. That's a pretty... Um, People will talk about that like there's no escape of it or like there's no strategy in shame. There's strategy in shame. It it keeps me small. I don't have to take any risks. It keeps other people's expectations of me low. I don't have to be responsible. Anyway, there's lots of payoffs to being ashamed. And it's worth taking a look at. Do I want the future in that? Or am I going to complain about the future that I've got 10 years from now if I keep believing that I can't shoot a killer brand story and they're not going to pay and they're not going to buy? And so... Do I want that future and I'll go work down the street or do I want to go pursue my passions, which you're doing, which is awesome. So, you know, um, yeah, you got you to unlearn or unlearn uh, a bunch of stuff if you want to be alive. Right. Like be yeah. fully alive. Yeah. And not like not be dead. I mean, like be vital. Then you got to like be in the driver's seat that realize the fact or own the fact. And I say it that way because we know this is true from neuroscience is that Nothing is objective. Everything is subjective. Like we're on this, exactly. we're on this call right now and I'm operating on this call with you on this podcast with you based on what I believe about me and what I believe about you and what I believe about these listeners. And I value you and I value your listeners and I'm honored to hopefully say something that helps somebody. Now, because I believe that I'm on the edge of my seat and I'm really here. And if I believed it was a waste of time, I would be just mailing it in and you'd have to carry all the weight and I'd just be some kind of diva over here, like seeing the best that you could do with the shit that I was giving you. But I, no, but I'm connected here and I want you to win. I want these listeners to thrive, you know, so that I'm, and I'm responsible for that perception is my point. And if I, and so it's always up for grabs and, and you, you got to experiment to find the perception that generates engagement and engagement always generates value. Absolutely, man. Yeah, man, I love it. So let's go a little bit back into leadership. And, um, you know, you, you've taught Navy SEALs, you've taught huge corporations like Nike. What are some of the main skills that you teach when you're, when you're teaching leadership? Like, what exactly are you teaching? What are you doing to help them with their leadership? What am I helping each of these people with their leadership? Um, you know, anybody that comes to me, I'm a pretty blank page. First off. Yeah. I have to, I first decide, I don't know anything about these people. And, um, so I'm going to be a student first. So I want to hear, I want to hear a couple of things. I want to hear, uh, in vivid color, 
what they're committed to. And um, that even for the best leaders I'm working with, it takes a while to get that calibrated uh, just because we're humans and we typically lower the bar when, they're, when we're in the midst of tension. You know, you know what I mean? Like what, if we think about what we want and it's not working or something's broken or something's frustrating, the typical human response is lower the bar. So to ease the tension. And so no matter who I'm working with, uh, a kick-ass Navy SEAL guy or a great CEO of a company or a VP at Nike or whatever, they typically are lower. They've lowered the bar. They might not even be aware of it, but they definitely have stories to justify why they've done it. So I'm listening for what future they're committed to. Um, that's the first thing. And that takes a lot of guts to do that well. So I, I am committed to being a fierce advocate with anybody I'm talking to. Like advocate, like I want what they want. I don't know what they want, but I'm going to get clear with what they want. I'm going to fight for that. And I'm going to do it in a fierce way, meaning most people I work with are type A, very driven people. And most people don't tell them the truth. And that's not an accident either. Um, that's why it's lonely at the top because they've created that environment for themselves. They don't get a lot of feedback. And I'm committed to being ruthless in my feedback. Not tough, not critical, just straight up. And I'll say things that puts the relationship at, at stake all the time. That's my job is to say things nobody else would say to them. That's why they trust me. So that's number one. I'm going to get clear on their future, what they're committed to, because that's the only thing that's going to generate, that's going to generate the present anyway. What I think about now is all connected to what I believe about then. And so, you know, I'll always say there's no next until there's a now. So that's the second thing is I'm going to get really clear with them by current reality. And most of us live in some kind of rosy, uh, rosy view of what's happening now, not very specific not that thoughtful about it, not that we don't have thoughts and we have complaints about it usually, but the complaints are indicators of understated vision. You know, anytime somebody's in a complaint about something, it's because there's vision underneath that, that they don't, aren't willing to own. Instead, we'll just have a complaint about it, which the complaint is a racket, a complaint's like a hiding place. Uh, it's a game we play with other people and ourselves. So I'm going to get connected to current reality, future vis future state and current reality, like what's going on now. And I'm going to ask a ton of questions and get really clear on the ways to look, not only what's happening, but also ways to look at what's happening. And are there more inventive or creative ways of looking at what's happening? Like if I'm, if something's not working, we typically complain about it. Instead, what's the advantage of this thing not working? Yeah. Or if something's not working, we'll tend to have a complaint about it. Instead, how did I generate? How did I generate, let's see, if I have what I don't want, how did I generate this? How did I at least contribute to this? Not blame, but contribution. So anyway, I'm going to really sift through all that. It takes, that takes some time to talk through that. After that, we've got a pretty big gap between current reality and future state. Hopefully we do. If we don't, our vision is not high enough. There ought to be a really big gap. And then our, my work with leaders is to stand with them in such a way that they're willing to Make promises and keep promises because that's the way you create the future is you make promises and you keep them. And that happens in two ways. One, making promises from myself, but then also making bold requests of other people, which requires them to make a promise in return. Like if I, you know, like, like if I said, hey, Zach, I'm going to be in Nashville two weeks from now. Will you meet me there? And if you said, uh, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. And, you know, 
then I know, right? Then I know you're not willing to make a promise about it and you're not living your, your dominant commitment about it. I'd be a fool. If I got to Nashville and said, Where, where's Zach? He was going to be here. That's not true. You didn't promise anything. You said you'll be here if you feel like it. So, you know, a lot of people live in disappointment because they're unwilling to be clear with themselves and then willing to be clear with other people. And so that's the work. The work is, is helping, is standing with people in such a way they can live their word, you know, which we don't talk about that in culture these days, but it's really the whole ball game. Like if I'm willing to make promises and then I become substantial. Most people that are struggling is because they're unwilling to make a promise to themselves. And probably for good reason. They've disappointed themselves. They're hard on themselves. They're still living in the past. They're still living somebody else's story. They're still living with mom and dad. They're still whatever, you know, and they're not willing to stand out there on their own and leave, leave the herd to, you know, to stand alone. So yeah, most people I'm working with. You, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that's literally how you build confidence is keeping the promises you make to yourself. Right on. Right on. Now you said... uh you're you're unique because you you can just be straight up with people and you you can just tell them how it is. Um, how do you how do you get to that point to have those crucial conversations, you know, on a consistent basis and kind of almost like threaten your position? Like some people might get upset, they might you know fire you on the spot if if they you say something you're not supposed to. How do you you know have the balls to have those cr- crucial conversations? Well. What happens if we don't, you know, if we don't, if we don't have the balls to be honest, then we're just going to like put fresh icing on a shit sandwich. Exactly. That's it, man. I mean, if we, if I, if I'm clear that I'm going to die and we're all going to die, you know, like we're all into this thing, life, and we're all going to die at some point. And then if that's true, that usually naturally generates some meaning. And, you know, because I might die today. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But if I live like that, like, not like that morbidly, but I'm just like living that awareness that I, I'm not promised tomorrow. I'm not promised today. Um, and that, you know, that's going to generate significance, like meaning in my life. And I'm, I care about my legacy. I care about the gap that I leave in the world. I care about what my kids will say about me when I'm gone. I care about that deeply. And so, okay, so if I'm, okay, so I'm working back, right? So, okay, good, I'm going to die. And then therefore my time is significant. My, my actions, my choices are significant. And I care about my impact on other people. Then I better operate from a place that's true for me because that's the only thing that's, that's sustainable. And I've got plenty of seasons in my life and we could do five hours on how I've lived inauthentically in different seasons of my life and paid the price for it and other people paid the price for it. Because uh, I'm pretty persuasive and I can take people down a pretty dark path. Um, and that's kind of a yin and yang of that, right? So, cause if you're a leader and you're good at influencing people and good at using language to motivate and move people along, you can also motivate people to the dark side, which I've done plenty. So, um, I'm going to now pay attention to what's true for me and everybody just got to decide, um, how much their life matters. That's such a philosophical statement. I mean, like, this is such a great question, and it's worth an hour just with this question. How do you become bold? You just decide that your word matters. You decide that you matter, really, that you're here to make some kind of difference. And if you're here to make some kind of difference, then 
with other people or even with yourself, but I'd suggest getting a vision beyond yourself, then um, you can do one of two things. You can either play small and play not to lose and try to sustain things and try to keep relationships and try to keep opportunities and try not to mess it up. That's called playing not to lose. Most people do that. Um, or you can generate a worldview where you play to win. And if you play to win, you got to take some risks. And I just know specifically to answer the question in my world right now, I don't want to work with someone that doesn't want to wrestle with the truth. I tell all my people, I said, two big games here. How much truth can you handle and how much courage can you summon? Those are the two big games. If you get both of those in line, we, we get a limitless game in front of us. If you try to play small on either one of those, by the way, that's, what I, that's the game I'm playing. So if you're going to like try to sandbag me or talk me out of my ambition for you, then don't waste your time and money. I'm really expensive. Go work with some other schlep down the road. There's plenty of coaches that'll just pat you on the back all the time. That's fine. Um, I mean, it's not what I'll do. But if you, you know, I always tell them, if you want some encouragement, call your mama. That's not what we're doing here. We're actually, we're actually challenging ourselves. And that's encouraging. At the end of the day, we're going to look like shit. We're going to feel like shit. We're going to fail like crazy. We're going to disappoint ourselves. And that's going to be meaningful and satisfying because it means we're on our way yep. somewhere. We're going to make something exactly. great happen. And failure is a part of the success. And at least in this dynamic between the two of us, this matters. And, you know, it's a very unique relationship. So how do I have those crucial conversations? Why do I have it? The future of the relationships at stake in every conversation. If you lie yeah, once, it'll, it'll, lies grow over time. So if you live a lie right now, you better watch out because mm -hmm. you're going to inherit. They, they always have lies, have children and have grandkids and you're going to inherit all those. So you better get real with yourself. Mm, I love that. Now there might be some people listening to this podcast right now and they need to have that crucial conversation. They need to have that crucial conversation with maybe they're in a relationship that they shouldn't be in. Maybe it's a toxic relationship and they're just stuck in it. Maybe it's with their parents. Maybe it's with their friend. Maybe it's in a business that they want to get out of. What advice do you have for people that haven't had that crucial conversation yet, but they desperately need to? You know, how do they approach that conversation to start off? Yeah. We've got a stack of questions that I have people work through before you get into the conversation, because it's best not to just kind of jump into it. It's best to do some thinking on the front yeah. end to get yourself straight. Exactly. So uh, I can, I can mention those here. I mean, I also mentioned the fact that we've got a podcast. If you want to listen to our podcast, um, it, it's called, uh, the naked leadership podcast. Um, and you have a social media that people can follow as well. Sure. Adrian.k on Instagram. Got um, it. So, you know, go listen to that podcast. We do tons of episodes just on, on conflict itself. But here, here, anyway, if you want to stack your questions, here's some questions to ask yourself. First off, like what's the, what's the pressing issue? Like if you think about the, there's a breakdown in relationship or whatever, like what's the pressing issue? And then clarify the issue. Like what's going on? How long has it been going on? How bad are things? Get clear about that. Um, determine the current impact. Like what's the impact on me? Um, what's the impact on other people? Because it is, because it is what it is right now. Like the, the status of the thing. And I should say like, be soft on the person really hard on the problem. So we're just talking about the problem. The problem isn't the other person. The problem is the dynamic, right? What's happening or how the other person is behaving. That's the problem. Not, not them. Right. So you depersonalize it. You talk about the behavior or talk about the action or talk about the dynamic between you two. So what's the current impact on you, on them? 
And then you ask yourself, what's the future implication? If it stays the way it is, if it stays like this, how bad is it going to get? We call that the parade of horribles. Get really clear on how bad it's going to get. Um, all right. Now, this is, now, the next question is something people don't do, which is examine their personal contribution. So if I got a breakdown with a girlfriend or whatever, and it's bad, and I'm full of judgments on her, whatever, hypothetically speaking, and what, how have I contributed to it? Like, there was behavior that was sideways before, and I didn't bring it up, and I didn't want to cut, rock the boat. Or I saw this thing and I didn't want to talk about it. Or I was the same way or she's a reaction to me. Anyway, what's my personal contribution? How can you take ownership of the situation? Sure. Of your contribution, not about blame, but about your contribution. How do I help make the thing as shitty as it is? And if you don't have an answer for that, don't get in the conversation because you're not ready for it. Because those are probably going to come your way anyway, like in their judgments. But if you've already done the work on yourself, other people can share. What they well, you were a dick, blah, blah. Yeah, totally I was. I know I've been that way. I, I was thinking about that yesterday. I've done that and I've done that. And so therefore their judgments aren't problems for you. You own it or you beat them to the punch. But so you can stay neutral. Right. Next is like describe the ideal incomes. All right, not ideal, ideal income, ideal outcome. So here's where things are right now. And I've walked through all those steps. And now here's what I want. And you might want nothing. And that's good to know. Like I actually don't want to be in a relationship with this person. Oh, great. Let's break up. That's what I want. I want us to break up peacefully. I want us to, you know, um, and then commit to some kind of action. So here's what I'm going to do next. Or here's maybe the standard moving forward. So, I love it. Yeah. Anyway, that's a, it. Go to the Naked Leadership Podcast. We talk about conflict all the time and you guys can talk through it. Yeah. It's so much more simple than you would think. It's just really just, it's just answering a couple of questions. It and is, man. Taking action. It is, but man. A lot of people like to procrastinate it. We all cool. do. So we're coming to the end of the podcast. A um, couple more questions for you. Um, this is something we like to ask everyone that comes on our podcast. What is your purpose? What is your mission in life? All right. So what is my purpose? That's a worthy question. It shifts all the time, to be honest with you. Meaning my purpose shifts to meet the season of life that I'm in. So if you looked at different phases of my life, I had a different purpose to that phase. I mean, big picture, I mentioned earlier, I want to be part of the reconstitution of the world. I want to put the world back together. That's what's really meaningful to me. Um, but then in, in moments in time, uh, there are seasons in time, and I've got kids and, and all that, um, that get shifts. And so that's first, it, it shifts back and forth, which can be, which can be odd for people to think about. Um, but they better be real about that because that's a way to like be responsible to like meet the need of the moment. So I mean, the purpose for me is to really, I would say a few things. One is to be fully alive, which I've talked about plenty on this call. Um, and that, that's not a small feat. Like, you know, it's like, you got to like really be in the driver's seat of your own world, own your own perspective, own that nobody else gets to generate my experience. I get to generate my own experience of whatever's going on. And then I'm in the driver's seat and I get to make choices despite like back to the man with a vision can never be held hostage by circumstances. So be, like being fully alive is a big purpose of mine. Um, being with other people in a way that generates that for them. So whoever I'm with, right. whoever I'm talking to, I want them to be alive. I want us to have like, even like today, our conversation, like invigorated things in my life and helps me see things in a fresh way. And I want to talk to you for 10 hours. Like, I like this guy. If there's any way I can support him, I want to support him. And like being with people, that's really the most meaningful thing for me 
is generating relationships that are reciprocal and healthy. And I want to be around people uh, that take big leaps and make it and change the world. And I get to do that in my vocation, which is cool. I get to coach all these world-class thinkers and doers. Um, so that's a big purpose of my life is like to provoke phenomenal leadership with and inside through worthy people. And I mean, worthy, I mean, everybody's worthy at the end of the day, but I don't want to partner with everybody. If somebody's a dick, I don't, I mean, I, there's probably nobody I wouldn't coach, but if they didn't shift, I mean, there's certain personalities in my head right now, but if they were just out for themselves, I don't want to play that game. You know, so provoking other people to live this kind of limitless view of the world, which, uh, you know, it's not that we, it's not that the world's that evil, it's just dead. I mean, there's plenty of evil going on in the world, but that only becomes, it's only there because people are dead. Like they're not committed to anything that's worth having. And so they're just hedonistic and they're just pursuing their own desires and aren't asking anything of themselves and aren't, aren't connected to and sacrificing for anybody else. They're just the anti-hero. They're just out for their number one. And so those dead people, I don't hang out with very much at all. And I want to provoke yeah. life in other people. Exactly. Yeah, they're just selfish and they're just seeking the next dopamine hit. It's all a dopamine game for them. That's it, man. Yeah. Cool. So um, if anyone wants to reach out to you, um, I know you have a business. It's called Take New Ground. Take New Ground. Um, it's your coaching business. Yep. Uh, if they want to reach out to you with any questions or they maybe they want coaching from you, how do they do that? Yeah. So find me on Instagram, adrian.k, A-D-R-I-A-N.k. Um, hit me up there. We can have a conversation. Uh, you can go to takenewground.com. If there's anybody that's you know um, ambitious and wants to make a really important decision right now when they're in their 20s, um, the best thing they can do in our world, you can hit me up and you can connect with me or connect with one of my people. But there's an environment called the Revenant Process. And it's a four-day personal leadership training. It's an accelerant for whatever you've got going on in your life. Trust me, you will make a leap in that training. It's four days, deep dive, not for the faint of heart, not some therapy session, not some kind of seminar where I'm up there talking at you for four days. It's you. And you're experiencing yourself and you're getting a ton of feedback from other people, from strangers, all very ambitious people. Um, there's, that's a four-day training coming up at the end of October. It's in Hawaii. Um, it's in Honolulu. It's wearerevenant.com. It's a really, it's not that expensive um, as compared to a lot of other people that are charging a lot of money. We keep the price point low because we want the most amount of people to come and we select the room. So it's a curated room. Not everybody can come. So you got to like apply and, and make it through uh, because we're going to get some work done. So come to the Revenant. Um, wearerevenant.com. Yeah, you should come in. You'd love it, Zach. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I've, I've done uh, like Tony Robbins and a couple other events just like if that. You like, so if you like Tony, right. you'll love this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely want to find out more for sure. All right, man. Sweet, man. Well, it's been, a, it's been an honor, man. It's uh, I got a lot out of this. I hope our viewers did too. I know they did. And, uh, you know, thank, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been a pleasure. You got it, buddy. Good to meet you, Zach.